We live in a world that doesn't always understand grief, but we do. We see you, we hear you, and we're here to talk about grief in the most real of ways, because we have lived with it too. In this podcast, we'll look at ways to integrate grief into a life that is fulfilling and meaningful for you. There'll be no platitudes or silver linings, but there may be the occasional F-bomb. I'm coach John Polo, and my person died. I'm coach Carolyn Gower, and my person died too. Hey everyone, this week we have not only one, but two very special guests. Danny and her son Brandon were recently on season two of the TV show My Mum, Your Dad, Australia. I personally love the show, but I also found it very interesting seeing Danny's experiences as a widow on a reality show about dating. From seeing the way that men can react so differently when finding out she's a widow to the roller coaster of emotions that are inevitable when you start dating again. But these are things that don't just happen on TV shows. This is a reality for a lot of you who may even be listening to this episode. It was also really interesting hearing from Brandon and him sharing his point of view of how things played out on the show. We know you're going to love this episode, so let's meet Danny and Brandon. So welcome to the My Person Died 2 podcast to Danny and Brandon. How are you guys? Very well, thank you. Thank you for having us. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having us, guys. Yeah, no worries. So um, just before we start this episode, we'll let our listeners know that uh, Danny and Brandon have just been on a television program here in Australia called My Mum, Your Dad, which we'll be talking about as we go through this episode. So I'm very familiar with them and I'm probably fangirling a little bit, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> no, no need, Karen. <laughs> We're not but, that interested. <laughs> <laughs> I think you are. <laughs> but John doesn't have a clue who they are. Um, it's not aired currently in America. So um, Johnny's learning as we go through this episode today. Yeah, I don't watch TV anymore. Um, So even if it was here, I wouldn't have watched it. But my late wife, Michelle, loved all type of like reality dating shows. My current fiance loves them. So I'm sure I would be hearing all about it if it was actually here in America. So I'm excited (laughs) to learn with our listeners about you guys, about your story, everything. Awesome. So we'll start off, Danny, by um, asking you if you could share your story with us um, with your late husband, Paul. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, Paul and I had been together six years and were married. And uh, Paul uh, was an elite athlete, dual Olympian, ninja warrior, TV show a few times and um, very, very healthy. And one morning just didn't wake up. He died of cardiac arrest in bed next to me sometime during the middle of the night and a huge shock, obviously, for me and the kids uh, and the greater community because Paul was uh, a mentor to everybody and someone that a lot of children and families looked up to. He was a kids coach, um, an Olympic level coach for for kids and um, was a big shock for 
everybody in the community that knew him. Um, and it's been, yeah, four years now and a lot easier to talk about now, but obviously, yeah. you know, years and years of dealing with the grief. Can I ask, since I don't, I'm not familiar, so um, yes. let me ask some basic questions here. How old was Paul when he passed away? Uh, Paul had just turned 50. 50. So, yes. Brandon, you you knew Paul for the entire six years as well. Were you guys super close? Yeah, we were. So, mum met Paul at Paul's workplace called Fighting Lines. It's a mixed sports gym that most, mostly deals with kids. And so, um, early on in their relationship, I was in a bit of a dark place and Paul gave me a job at that work. And so I worked with him for that entire time. In fact, I probably saw Paul more than mum got to see him um, because we're just working together every day, working with the kids. So we were definitely close. And so the day of Paul's passing was quite a big shock to the family and to obviously the wider community because everyone was so close knit. Like we never approached our workplace as like a workplace. It was pretty much a community where people could come in and feel safe. And we worked with neurodiverse kids and we're just an open, diverse kind of community. So it was a very big impact on us as a family and them as a community. And it was a very weird kind of process to try and navigate her own grief with the community's grief and trying to balance it all. And Danny, you um, were fairly young when Paul did die, still young now. Um, and I guess I was 47. 47, yeah. And I guess, you know, he was so super fit that he'd yeah. be the last person you'd expect something like this to happen to. Um, yeah. And I guess it's something that you just don't talk about, you don't think of, especially with, you know, someone still fairly young, fit, healthy. How did it impact you when Paul did die? Well, I think I lost a big part of my identity. Yeah, I think Paul and I were this couple. We lived our life quite publicly. Um, we loved hard. We were very passionate about each other. Um, we were quite vocal about that um, through our actions towards each other and the way we shared that with the, with our social media world. We just loved each other really hard. So it was, I hadn't been with him long enough to get sick of him, if that makes sense. Yeah. We, we hadn't even got to the, uh, you know, the tricky seven years stage or anything. It was just a real shock to be so deeply in love and passionate about someone and to have them not there the next day. And I really grappled with who I was anymore if I wasn't the other half of Paul and who was I. And it's really only until just very recently that I felt like I am the old Danny is back because, yeah. you know, I've been living with the tag of Paul's widow for so long because um, John in Australia or in the sports world, people know who Paul is and he's got a bit of a public profile and I felt somewhat still tagged to that you know, because he was widely known in the sports community. So I think... Yeah, when, you were known as Paul's wife. Paul's, Paul's wife. Widow yeah, Paul Lyons' kind of widow. Her. Yeah, and so, um, you know, and I was still driving around a car that had fighting lines all over it. And so I could see, always see people looking at me in the car knowing, oh, that's Paul's widow, that's Paul's widow. And people would stop yeah. me in shopping centres saying, oh, we knew your husband. And it was always, it was always a reminder to me that 
he touched so many people and he was a champion of the underdog and that the world had lost a really great person. And I thought, who am I left behind? I'm not a great person. I don't have to offer what Paul has to offer people. But and I sort of felt like I just didn't know who I was anymore. Yeah. Can I say something real quick or two things? Because that's fascinating to me in a couple of different ways. So I just returned from St. Louis and I did one of my most popular workshops out, out there and it's called Who Am I Now? Because I think that that is true of 99% of widowed people that I have met, right? Like we feel like a big part of us went with them and, and our identity is lost and we have to figure out who we are now in addition to rebuilding our life. The other thing you said that's really fascinating to me, I have a couple clients with similar, similar situations, but I never really thought about it until you were saying it, is I think for a lot of widowed people, we live with the reality of nobody is saying their name. Nobody is yeah. talking about them. And for you, it was kind of the opposite. It was like everywhere I go, people are yeah. saying his name, people are bringing him up. Um, I don't know, Carolyn, Like, is that fascinating to you at all? It's just fascinating to me that it's such a complete you know, difference in how many, what so many widowed people have to deal with. And Absolutely. I could see how that could be really difficult in its own way, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, that must have added that extra layer to it that everyone identified you with Paul at a time when you're also struggling to find your own identity. So yeah, I, I definitely had a public face that I put on and, yeah. you know, just after he died, we had to turn up. When I, when I say it's a sports centre, it's a very, very big multi-level sports centre and people didn't know where to go or how to express their grief and they all just turned up to the club. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people just turned up there and I was just scared to even put my foot through the door because, you know, I was always a big supporter of Paul. We had, you know, double story building size photos of him everywhere from the Olympics, from the show. And you walk into fighting lines and you were just everywhere is wall to wall things of monuments of Paul that are already there, which is I had done. He was a very humble man, but, you know, people looked up to him. So it was really hard for me to even step foot back in there. And for Brandon, Brandon had to go back and work there for another four years and um, it's not just people reminding you the building remind I mean you guys know you've been through it as well everything is a reminder Mm. Um, just for me I didn't realize how many people knew him you know and there were on 3,000 odd people at his funeral I'm pretty sure I knew a hundred of them yeah it was meant to be like a very small funeral at first with the family and friends and stuff but then more and more people wanted to come and express their you know their grief and yeah. and end up being like a race course like yeah we, we, we kept finding bigger and bigger venues and oh, wow. the um the media jumped on it pretty quickly and um the media were there as well so I was really that was conscious in the back of my mind that I, I don't know where my words are even going to go I didn't know what to say I'm a bit of a joker by nature and sure enough I was cracking jokes during my eulogy mm-hmm. and we we pretty much all did and I think that's a bit of a defense mechanism but mm. it's definitely been added another layer to it in that I've got complete strangers coming up to me telling me how Paul changed their life and I oh, didn't wow. even know wow. yeah so um you know your grief no, was very no. public at that time yeah. by the sounds of it it's yeah. definitely something that we had to deal with 
going forward for quite a long time because there's a because there was just thousands and thousands of people that knew Paul they all wanted to talk to him and talk about their emotions and their grief and we're also trying to like keep his community keeping his legacy going that was a big thing for us is making sure that Paul's legacy is protected and that never went away for everyone because everyone wanted to you know still be a part of that and so it became very easy for us to talk about what had happened and about the grief and stuff just to help others yes. get through it all. But for us, we had to bury it quite deep just because we're yeah. trying to help Everyone other else. people get through it. But those fir- that first week was so intense. Like I know for me, like I stopped eating. I stopped doing anything I would normally do, like watch TV, listen to music and all that kind of yeah. stuff just because I felt guilty for doing it. And that why should I get to enjoy food? Why should I get to enjoy movies, listen to music and stuff when he doesn't get to? And these all things are to bury quite quickly and deeply just so I could help other people, you know, through it. And that was the same for both mum and I, that we had to, Mm. again, push that down so we could try and help others. I mean, that's just who we are as people. We like to help people and talk to people. So we thought we're pretty good with it until the show, of course, um, where old stuff surfaced very very quickly yeah yeah and I think that's such a common thing that we as grievers are so often put in a position where we're comforting others who are trying to comfort us but then you know we have to put on this brave face and all of a sudden we find ourselves comforting other people it seems to happen quite a bit but just going back to something that you mentioned um, a little earlier Danny so you and Paul were together for six years and that's something that both John and I can really relate to, you know, you're saying that um, you hadn't got sick of each other yet and you didn't have that seven-year itch because Tony and I got um, just under six years together as well and, John, you and Michelle, when you reunited, was five, yeah. So um, it's feeling like, you know, like we're grateful for the time that we had and that we had them in our lives and everything. But bloody hell, we feel ripped off that we only got that time with them. Like that's just not fair to find the one. Yeah. Yeah. To find the one that, and you just have like, I know for both of us, your love story when you were describing your relationship was just like the words that we would say to describe ours. So having that such a strong connection and then in our cases, the only difference was that they had both had cancer. So we knew that they were going to die. Um, but yeah. you know, it, it still didn't affect our grief and the shock of losing them. I don't think anything yeah. can really prepare you for that. But um, yeah, it's just not long enough, is it? No, no. I think I think we've all been ripped off in this situation, yeah. haven't we? And sometimes it feels like I was with him forever, and sometimes it feels like it's yeah. five minutes. I'm sure you can both relate. And sometimes I can remember his voice, and sometimes I can't. Yeah. And. The only blessing I have, I think, is that I always had a camera in his face. Yes. I always had mm. a camera in his face. And I, without even knowing, I mean, when I knew my dad was going to die, he, I knew he had cancer and he was going to die. So I definitely had a camera in his face. And I, I lost my mum when she was my age now. Oh. And we lost her very suddenly. And so we didn't have enough videos and photos of people. So I've been conscious of capturing moments with people since I lost my mum because we just didn't have enough video, yeah. enough photo, enough anything really um, that I made a, co- when I 
was with Paul, I made an effort to really capture us. I probably annoy everybody with my photos and videos, <laughs> but I'm like, what, someone, you know what it's like you think you worry about, is this person going to go next? Like, because it can happen really quickly. Yeah. Yeah. When, where, when you have had that loss, like you had with your yeah. parents, it does definitely make you more aware. And yeah, I bet you are glad now that you have got those photos and videos yeah. of Paul. Um, I think you can never have enough. And it's, it really hits hard. I think when you realize what I've got is it like, I can't get any more. That's all I've got to last the rest of my life. I can't get any more photos or videos. So um, they're such a treasure. And I'm always saying to people, take more photos, take more videos, just <laughs> do it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Good advice. I'm, I say the same thing to people. It's you, you, you life can just turn on a dime. So yeah. it's, yeah. you know, this could be over tomorrow, grab what you yeah. can enjoy life. And it's, you know, part of the reason for going on the show was like four years went by very, very quickly. I mean, it felt quick, it felt slow, but um, I thought, gee, I'm, if this has gone past this quickly, is the rest of my life going to pass quickly like this? Yes. And I'm just here alone. Like, you know, am I going to do that forever? Because yeah. you just feel, I know probably you'll touch on this for the question, but you know, when you're thinking about being with somebody else and you think about, I feel like I'm cheating on my partner and there's a whole host of other things that arise out of that. And, you know, the one thing I never thought, and I, I spoke the words at Paul's funeral, I said, you know, I'll never be with anybody else ever again. I said it out loud to thousands of people. And so, I mean, I feel like a fraud right now. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, look, John well, and I, we like, we hear that all the time. And we did an episode about this just recently. It's okay to change your mind. Like at that time when you experience such a profound loss, you think you know what you want, but you don't. You really don't. Life unfolds in a completely different way. And, you know, I never say never anymore. Whatever happens, happens. Well, and that was your truth at that time, right? Like yeah. at that time, that was your truth. We know that like after a truly profound loss, grief never fully ends, but it does change and it does evolve. So things changed for you, things evolved for you. And what did you say? Four years later, you decided, okay, I think I want to open up my heart. And that's actually, a, it's a beautiful thing. It would be beautiful yeah. if it didn't happen too. But the fact that like it evolved to that and you allowed yourself to pursue it right? That yeah. to me, that's a beautiful thing. So, yeah. So tell the person can wait, Carolyn, can I jump ahead or do yeah. you have more questions? I'm, I want to know about this show. I want to know about this show that my late wife and my current fiance would be obsessed with if it was here. I want to know yeah. about the show. So, well, the, well, the concept is that kids, non, well, I don't want to say kids. It's like Adults. 18 to 28. Cause I'm 28 at the time. Um, you are able to nominate their parents to enter a retreat, a love retreat where they can meet other single parents and try and find love again. But us kids are pulling the strings in, you know, who goes on what date, who doesn't get to go on dates, et cetera, et cetera. So it's very much where kind of like parent traps. So like we're manipulating everything and influencing who gets to be with who and stuff. And um, it's a very pure kind of experience in terms of reality tv like you wouldn't think so but with everyone on the show we were very raw and very genuine for good or for bad but um 
it was a very genuine kind of experience. I kind of liken it, I guess, to Love Island, but with a much more interesting storyline. Like, so I think <laughs> the, the old, yeah, yeah, Love Love yeah. Island for adults. So, um, yeah. you know, being the ages that the contestants all are. No, there is a background. They have that lived experience of going through different challenges in life and, and you know, yeah. potentially marriages and a whole range of things. So to see that come up and it's real life is much more interesting, or to me anyway, yeah. but um, yeah. than, than some of the, the other shows. So um, that's what I Yeah, Every parent had a story to tell. They all yeah. had their demons carried with them and stuff and, I think like the part I was impressed with the most is that the group of kids I was with, they were so emotionally intelligent, like only like a snip of it was actually on screen, but um, the kids were so intelligent and emotionally intelligent, like with understanding their parents and the situations that everybody was in and trying to guide them to, you know, a better place. Yeah. And look, I was really impressed with all of the kids. Um, you know, well, as you said, there were some that were really young, you know, 18, 20, and they were very emotionally intelligent for what you would expect from that age with the amount of lived experience that they do have. And I particularly loved the way that everyone supported each other. So even if the parent was being a bit of a dick, yeah. Um, the the kids all supported each other and the helped the the child of that parent through whatever yeah. what was going on. So um I particularly did love that, you know, watching that play out. Now, yeah. Danny, your first date on the show was with a guy called Boss. I don't think <laughs> I have a lot to say about Boss, let's be honest. <laughs> Boss, B O S S. Yeah, Boss. that was yeah. his nickname. Okay. Yeah. Got you. Would you like to Go tell ahead. us about your experience boss. with Boss? Um, well, the, yeah, on the show you only um, get a very short time to make a connection with somebody and uh, I hadn't told anybody that I was a widow. Everyone, when we all first went into the house one by one, there was everyone was talking about their experiences and I just didn't feel comfortable saying that I was a widow. I thought that was a pretty yeah. big lot of baggage to drop on these men um and nobody asked me so I think they just all assumed I was divorced and it wasn't until the very very end of the day where the host asked me and pushed for it that I had told my story and in the meantime I just went in there had fun was myself you know being a bit sassy a bit silly funny (laughs) and there was a guy boss who was very witty um great comebacks great banter very sharp and we had a really good time. I wasn't physically attracted to him and obviously he probably was not to me, but um, in that on that first day, the kids had to do a match-up and it was just a no-brainer that they were going to match me up with him. And uh, down the track, obviously, he turns into a dickhead, but at that time, in that snapshot of time, I can see why his daughter and my son matched us up because on a comedic level, we, we met and... There, yeah, but there was really nothing more beyond that, was yeah. there? I mean, that, that's that's what Chloe and I saw during that time. So the way that it works is that the parents are in the retreat and us kids are in a bunker where we've got televisions connected to cameras and we got to watch the parents interact with each other. And from what Chloe and I saw, mum and boss, they 
you know, they bounced quite well. And that was something that I was looking for initially in going into the experiences because I know how well mum and Paul were together with their cracking jokes and their banter and stuff. So that was, that was yeah. something that was really important to me because I wanted to see that again from mum. And so seeing that again from mum was brilliant. And so I know for me, I jumped on that pretty quickly. This is it's fun. Like I'm seeing mum enjoying herself. And so um, when it came down to um, some of us kids getting to choose who gets to go on a date with who first, I um, chose boss and that's why I did. And you could definitely see when you did have that date with boss that there was that banter and you were both, you know, having fun, enjoying it. And it was seemed to be the shift when you told him that you were a widow and for yeah, me watching yeah. and, you know, it might have been different for you. Um, I know these TV shows get edited, but for me watching, you could just see the change in him and he was saying, oh, you know, I don't know if she's ready, is she ready? Like, but to yeah, me it felt yeah, like you're spot on. he was putting yeah. it on you like it wasn't him. It was yeah. just him blaming you and that was his thing to blame as to why a relationship yeah. wouldn't work. He was, I think he was scared off. And the next day it seemed like he just retreated, like he ghosted you pretty much on yeah. a TV show. And yeah, he did. <laughs> and, did. you know, everyone, you know, us watching were thinking, what the hell? So I can't imagine what you yeah. were going through at that time. It must have been really hard going from that date to laughing, having that banter to all of a sudden, where's boss? You know, he's disappeared. Yeah. How did that yeah. feel? Uh, you're spot on. It was exactly when he asked me the the next morning about Paul and because I wouldn't just volunteer my my story to someone unsolicited. If he asked me, I'll I'll talk about it because we're on a show. I don't want to be a vibe killer and bring the mood down of everyone. But he asked me and I told him, you know, just openly as I do about what happened. And he seemed surprised when I said, you know, that I went through a really bad, time for two years and he get said to me does it really last that long oh. I was a bit taken aback at that I remember thinking wow. yeah it does you know why I was taken aback because his mum had passed away three years ago and he was extremely close to her and was still battling with dealing with that it was a huge loss for him and this wasn't aired this on wasn't the show, aired on the show he opened right. up to about that and that was something that really impressed Chloe and I too is that he was able to open up to mum about his own grief and stuff and stuff that he kept quite close to the chest and for us it's a bit of a shame we didn't get to see that side yeah he was extremely emotional about it and and that was we connected actually on that level Mm. was that his his grief was really raw Mm. and so when he said to me oh does it really take that long two years that's what my thoughts were like Mm. well hang on we've had a conversation about your mum and you're not anywhere near being I'm not going to say over that. We're never over it. But those are his words. Yeah. And um, and then he said to me at some point it didn't go to air. He said, "I don't know if I could ever be the person that is the first one to break your heart after what you've been through." He right. said that to me. Yeah. It didn't go to air. So I sort of okay. that that conversation left him uncomfortable. But yeah, he completely ignored me after that. Completely yeah. ignored me. And um. I just thought, well, that's not the right person for me. Like I, no. I, if I'm going to be with someone, it needs to be someone who's strong enough to understand that I've still got someone that I love here, here in my heart, in my head, that's not going to go away. You know, this is, 
it's a different sort of love. And he just wasn't obviously cut out for that. And no. that's okay. He wasn't yeah. cut out for that. That's okay. Yeah. Some people aren't. And there's kind of a stigma around, I guess, dating a widow or a widower that they come with so much baggage and people yeah. see the negative, see it as a negative, whereas I kind of think it's more of a positive. Like I think widowed people are a real catch because emotionally we've been through so much and there's quite often that post-traumatic growth and we appreciate love and life a whole lot more because we know yeah. things can change. You know, we don't sweat the small stuff, things that a lot of people will get pissed off about. Oh, that's nothing, you know, we, we don't worry yeah. about it. Yeah. So I think a lot of us do have that really good outlook on life and have a lot to offer a new relationship. Yeah, we're still going to always love our person who died, but our heart's big enough to love someone else. So, yeah. you know, if you can find that person that's emotionally mature enough to understand that, you can have a great relationship while still having that continuing bond with your person. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that, I mean that's a really good observation. It's um, it's I think we we've loved in we've loved and lost someone, so we know how to love someone. Yeah, again, even more further with even more mm. intensity. You know, I'm, I mean, in the back of my mind's always like but what if I lose them too? I mean, that's that's fear in me. I'm just always trying to push down. Like, I don't know if I can go through that. And I say it to my partner now, like I'm always, it's something I've always got to push down in me yeah. is not to have that fear that it could happen again, that I'm going to wake up and he's going to be passed away beside me. You know, that's, you know, that's, that's the only downside I, I see to it, that I've got a bit of fear, but there's a lot of positives, yeah. you know, to it. That all those that you just mentioned. Yeah, you're yeah. very spot on that life is so, so short and that yeah. you can't, you know, give up on these opportunities and hide away. And Yeah, that was part of yeah. the reason going on the show. Mm. You know, before you know it, the day's ended, we're on another day, it's ended, and then what What are we waiting for out here? Now, uh, good old boss mate um, didn't <laughs> stop there, as we know. So no. I remember him telling you things like you tick five out of his ten boxes wasn't even five. It was like 4.8 or something oh, out of his box. Yeah, yeah, and there was you were 48.5%. But if only he could get you to 51% there for him. Maybe. And yeah, maybe. If only. Because, <laughs> you know, he must have been such a good catch himself. But I could see the look on your face as he's saying these things. And I think as widows, our self-esteem and self-worth is affected, as John and I talk about quite often because we don't have our biggest cheerleader and then you yeah. you know get out of your comfort zone and put yourself in this position and this first guy just says all this shit lays it on you yeah. as if you're yeah. not good enough I was kind of it was an incredulous reaction in a way I was like well okay in the outside world I wouldn't even look at you twice that was what right. was going on in my head also is that we're in a pretty small scenario here where there's only you know five men and six women or something and I've gotten along with you on a, a jocular level level if you like um but I don't use boxes but let's say I yeah. did use boxes and I did say to him and it didn't go to air what I said to him was that's okay dude because you don't tick any of mine <laughs> right they didn't put it to air. 
But I was gobsmacked to say the least. And then I just went, okay, is this what's out there? Is this what my, is this what dating looks like? Because if this is what it looks like, I don't know that I want to be part of it. I don't know if, if I'm not good enough for someone you know, I don't go on and on about being a widow, you know, despite how yeah. the show portrayed me um, in the outside world. I don't really talk about it and I don't I don't cry very much. I try and keep all of that under, undercover um, because I don't want to make other people feel uncomfortable. So I thought I did everything in my power to make him feel comfortable around that subject matter. Um, but as we find out later on, John, this is a clanger. He said that I wasn't fit enough for him and yeah. he like slipped women with better boobs yeah and I'm I pay twelve thousand dollars to have my boobs reduced <laughs> and lifted what are you talking about that one got me yeah. I thought and I didn't know about that at the time because yeah. that was said to one of the other men and Brandon heard it over in the kids bunker and yeah that that yeah. was the beginning of of the end what I thought like how big a dick must boss have felt when he learnt more about your story, like who your late husband was, the gym you had, like all that stuff. Like he must have felt like a real he, idiot. I mean, you could tell us maybe you heard from him or something, but from my perspective, knowing that type of man like I know, he probably felt even more insecure knowing that Paul was a big shot and a good man who everybody adored. And he probably yeah. felt even more insecure. On some level, he probably felt like, oh, yeah, I'm glad I didn't go for her because I really couldn't have lived up to his standards. You know? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Maybe yeah, I'm wrong. but No, no, you could be. Like, I, I remember saying to well, like someone in the house, um, oh, oh, gosh, he's going to feel like a real idiot when he if he looks at my social media when he gets out because he's going to see what Paul looks like because he was very proud of his body and his fitness and this and that and i'm thinking oh yikes you're gonna feel like an idiot like when you picture you... like a marvel character and an action man just like muscles upon muscles type vibe like, yeah anyway yeah. i was i i was bemused shocked <laughs> bewildered the whole thing and when brandon came over they they don't john they don't normally let the kids see the parents at all during this process so you cut off from your kids cut off from the outside world and um i at that point, I thought I just wanted to go home. I wanted to leave yeah. the show. I'd been through enough. I don't need some guy telling me that, you know, I ticked four point whatever out of his boxes. I thought, I just got to get out of here. I don't want to do this. And what it made me do, it made me really miss Paul because I'm thinking you're not even a shadow to my husband and you're saying this to me and I wanted to leave and I was upset because I was watching all the other couples had already, they were all off just cuddling and chatting and I was left a little bit out on my own and yeah. I thought I don't want to be here surrounded by all these loved up people because it's reminding me of what I lost. And I could see that from my end because we were able to see the parents the entire time with the cameras and for me that was really hard to watch because those comments happened on day three of the experience and so from day one, good start, day two to mum getting ghosted and you crawling up and curling literally curling on a couch and stuff like I could see that things were not good like at all for mum and then for day three when all those comments happened and then when you went to go away and started crying about everything like I took that really really hard because I could see mum was going out on a limb to do the experience and her heart was you know just 
broken all over yeah, it, it wasn't, I couldn't do anything to help her yeah it wasn't broken about boss no it was no. I, mean, my, I could tell that from what I was watching yeah it was and one of the other dad Shannon who's a lovely guy he had asked me about Paul and this was on day three and we were having this conversation and he started crying and I said don't cry you're gonna make me cry I'm okay unless someone starts crying yes. And anyway, we're both there just with little tears and my lashes are coming off. And I'm like, I've, I've got to go upstairs. I've got to fix my lashes. And I went up there and this whole place, John, this is a big, massive mansion. There's cameras everywhere. You're mic'd up. And so I've gone off and um, tried to hide in the bedroom. I've got my face away from the cameras and everything. And I'm just taking deep breaths. I'm trying to get my lashes back on and I'm feeling like I just want to go home. And the producers, of course, sent the girls up there to talk to me and somehow got a camera like in a mirror got my reflection and the girls were asking me what happened and then I just I had a breakdown and I said I'm not ready for this you know I'm not then it made me second guess like why am I here I'm not ready for it if I was I wouldn't be up here crying and Brandon was watching all this saying maybe I need to take mum home maybe she's not ready it's interesting because the question I had that I was going to ask you is when this happened, did you want to go home? And you okay. answered the question before I could say it, because of course you wanted to go home. I remember the first date I had after Michelle passed, I got back in the car and I'm just starting to scream and like sob at the same time. And the last thing she wanted to do was die, but I'm pretty much yelling at her. Like, why did you leave me? I don't want to fucking do this shit. I shouldn't have yeah. to do this shit. And it's not about yeah. boss. It wasn't about that woman. It's the fact that we're back into this dating world when we thought we were out of it forever. We thought we had the love of our life for the rest of our days. So your reaction is 100 million percent what we see in people. But right. you withstood the storm. You got back on your feet. And I'm going to let yeah, y'all yeah. tell me what happened next. <laughs> for me, I was... Again, with the experience, us kids aren't really meant to be directly interacting with our parents. We can only watch, but because they could, because the producers of the show could see that mum was under such duress, and I was, I really upset for mum too because I broke down too, and all the kids were comforting me again, talking about like how emotionally intelligent these kids were. They came to my aid, even Chloe, like boss's daughter, came to my aid, and um, they could see I was in such a bad position, so they sent me over to see mum one-on-one to ask you if you wanted to stay or not yeah and what they didn't show on camera is that um Brandon I was really worried about Brandon going into the house because Brandon's ASD um and he has a lot of anxiety about being around other people he's a bit of a loner and all the rest of it and I was worried about him. Bit of a recluse. he's a bit of a recluse <laughs> and I was worried about him going into the house and being able to, you know, connect with the kids and everything. So the producers kept reassuring me, Brandon's okay, Brandon's okay, because I was only worried about him. And when we, when I, when he came to the house, I broke down. Was, I was, I was, only worried I was about crying you. and I was only worried about him. And he held my hands and he said, mom, I've made such good friends in the house. And I just lost it. And I thought I've got to stay. I've got to stay, I've got to stay because my baby's made friends. So I was like, that's where my heart was, is that I didn't, that, that was the minute I knew I didn't want to leave is because he had found his own connections with the kids. And I thought, bugger it, I can get through this for my kid. And that's the reason I decided to stay. And that was a and blessing in disguise because the very next day we had a new 
man into the house. <laughs> yeah. The the producers had worded me up that there was a man coming into the house that they thought would be really, really great for me, that he had all the qualities that I'd be looking for. Um, mind you, in my criteria was very low, like just breathing and nice. <laughs> <laughs> like I didn't, I didn't care what they looked like. I didn't care how tall they were, whether they had hair, what their body looked like. I was very, very adamant that the physicality did not matter to me at all. Their looks didn't matter to me. Connection is something that you can't really explain. And so I just said I would need someone that is strong enough to be okay with what I've got going on in my life. And mm -hmm. um, and so they'd worded me up that there was a very lovely, kind guy coming in that they thought I would hit it off really, really well with. And, um, and yeah, so Wes comes into the house. And in reality, that all happened on day four. four. It was the very next day. The mm -hmm. very next day they brought him in and they said to me, can you please just stay one more day? This is behind the scenes. Can you stay one more day? And I said... I'll stay one more day. I'll stay one more day. And um, they brought him in and I knew straight away that I was physically attracted to him. But, I mean, you don't know. Physical is one thing. You've got to right. have a mental connection with someone. Mm -hmm. And doing it in a pressure cooker environment like that and the guy in question is um, very, very shy mm -hmm. and was only pulled into the show at the last minute. He wasn't someone that applied eight months before like, knew about it we knew about it for eight months before we filmed he literally got dragged in off a dating site very shy guy just, just deer in headlights really didn't he was lost on that show and I mistook that for um him being not interested in me and as the new guy he had to come in and talk to all the girls separately and have a bit of a date with everyone and because he's just a very kind person I just thought oh he's interested in other people not me and um and then the guys all, the other dads all got stuck into him and, you know, straight away they said, who do you, who did you have a reaction? Like, who, who were you attracted to? And he said, Danny, straight up. He told the producers, Danny, straight up. And he even had a secret code signal. He had a secret code to his son yeah. that if I'm looking at the ladies when I first meet them and I start playing with my ear, that's oh. the one I'm interested in, which he did. It was really obvious on the show. And, um, so his son set him up with me on a date. And that date involved us sitting, I'll say, groin to groin almost, our legs interlocked over one another, handcuffed together and having to stare at each other this far apart for um, a couple of minutes. And he said to me, the first, the most amount of words he spoke since he came in the house, he said, are you up for this? I said, oh, I'm absolutely up for it. I'm up for anything. <laughs> and he said, so am I. He said, and I said, do you want me to handle the, hand, the handcuffs? And he said, and I've got this. And he just looked at oh. me in a way and I thought, oh, I like you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was just that, you know, like it was that little bit of cheekiness where I went, hmm, I like that. As much as he was quiet, he had that little bit of cheeky edge and I went, hmm, hmm, okay. And we did the staring thing and he said to me later on, I was just so comfortable. He said, I just got lost looking at you and I just thought you had the most beautiful eyes and wow. I just thought so kind he had really kind eyes and um and then we sort of just became you know this couple we were just we weren't doing anything but we were just touching arms and stuff like that and there was just this comfort level there um and we had a chat about Paul and he said to me yeah he said of course you should always 
you know, be able to speak about him. And I said, how do you feel about me having him still on my social media? And, you know, he's, I always want to be able to celebrate his birthdays and his anniversaries and everything. And he said, you, you absolutely should do that. He said, I'd be surprised if you didn't. And that just made all the difference in the world to me. I've, I'd gone from boss who discarded me because obviously that was something he couldn't deal with to a man that said, yeah, absolutely, you should be still. Because I said, Paul hasn't gone away. He's still here and I still love him. And he said, you should still love him. Yeah, it's just another form of love. Yeah. Right? yeah. And he just basically quietly said all the things I needed to hear. Yeah. And the rest was just a very slow, lovely burn, you know, where you just think he's he's kind, he's kind, he's kind. And I had the opportunity where his son had to come and meet me and his son repeated the exact words that his dad did and remembering they have not seen each other. Yeah. So he said, you know, he said, I've been watching you and I know that you lost Paul and, you know, how do you, do you think you're ready to to move on? And we had a conversation and he just repeated exactly what his dad said. And I thought, yeah, he's a, he gen- said that to me he's, as a well, he's a genuine guy. Yeah. If, if you raise your son to think that too, you're just a genuine person. And, um, and, you know, nine months later, he's just every day, he just gives me so much support and, you know, never any judgment. He understands, he talks to me about everything and he's happy to talk about Paul and, um, you know, he understands my fears about losing him and, and the rest of it. So I ended up with a happy ending, John. So, so it took a long time to get that out, but. I love that. There's a couple of things I want to say. So first of all, as a quiet, kind of shy guy myself, we had that other side to us, right? Like okay. your son's tapping himself like me too. Like we have that yeah, other I'm side. Brandon, too, right? yeah. <laughs> I'm also a I can also yeah, I could agree. You have to let that develop. That's something I teach my female clients when we're doing dating coaching. Like you have to let it develop, right? And you see that other side to that shy guy. But beyond that, one of the things I talk about a lot is there is a difference with a new partner accepting that we're going to always love our person, that we're going to always talk about our person, that our person is going to be with us in our mind and our heart forever and embracing it. There's a difference between, yeah, you can do that. That's fine. I can accept that. And no, I want you to. I know Michelle will always be a part of you. I know Paul will always be a part of you. Tell me about them. Let me see the picture, right? And that's ultimately what we want. And it does exist, the embracing of it. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, you're right. It, it it isn't the same thing. Just saying you're okay with it, and you know it's been a process. Obviously, you know I, I couldn't dump a whole heap of things on him on a TV show. Right. Um. There wasn't wasn't the right um venue to do that in. But the night after we finished filming, we booked a hotel in Sydney, and we both we stayed the night and we sat on the balcony for six hours after the show wrapped and we just drank beer and we talked and we talked and we talked and we talked and we got everything out that we wanted to say and I knew right there and then this guy is so special I just knew it like he said everything that I needed to hear and gave me all that reassurance that it's okay to be loving Paul he expects me to still love Paul you know he knows that you know this this, he's going to be there in my life forever and not only that, my kids, absolutely, I've got three kids and they all absolutely 
adore Paul and I'm still in contact with Paul's family, obviously. And it's, um, funnily enough, Paul's mum is, you know, Wes and I's biggest supporter. And, yeah. you know, on social media, she's always the first one to say how happy she is and post her words of encouragement. And I think that takes a lot, you know, from a mum who's lost her son to accept her daughter-in-law being in a relationship and she watched the show and she loved it and mm. you know the show was very respectful to Paul you know they obviously paid footage and everything and photos of her son and that would have been hard for her to watch but we were in contact during that time and um, she has also just lost her husband Paul's dad and you know she's going through to double the grief if you like and um, but it was nice that she had room in her heart to still say you need to be happy Danny like you just you're too young to give up on life Paul wouldn't want it I don't want it you know I want you to be happy and that I I almost needed her blessing to let the guilt go yeah because I felt guilt yeah I did yeah and that's such a normal thing for us to feel even though deep down we know that we've got nothing to feel guilty for our mind just you know, plays that game with us that that does make us feel guilty. And from my point of view, I found it just absolutely beautiful to watch yours and Wes's story unfold for the the bit that we did see. Um, you could tell as soon as he came in that he was a, a different person. There was something special about him. And yeah, he's like he's yeah. very, very cute as well. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. um there's just something yeah. very special about him and his nature and his calmness and you know he might be a bit of a slow burner but it's worth you know waiting for what's what's coming out and I also particularly loved that it was like once you'd sort of had that chat to Brandon who Brandon you were just so calming with your mum it was beautiful to see that and um, that bond between the two of you was very obvious but just to see that shift then once you thought, right, I am going to stay, that you were wholeheartedly in it, Danny, that like when Wes came in, you right, I'm going to get out of my comfort zone and I'm going to let this guy know that I'm interested yeah. in him. And you did. You had that chat and he explained that he was shy and you were fine yeah. with that. You know, shy is okay as long as you know Absolutely. that and don't, you know, put your stories in your head that he's not interested and that sort of thing. I think that sort of, um, you know, allowed you to get out of your comfort zone and explore it a bit more. And wow, yeah. you know, did that pay off? Like it, it did because I, John, I don't if you know how crazy us girls are, but when we don't know something, we just imagine the worst when it comes to men and dating. And I just thought he wasn't interested. <laughs> but when he said, I'm just really shy, I'm shy in approaching people. I in straight away my heart just dropped because I've been so full on trying to get him out of his shell like which would have been horrifying for him because they didn't show a lot of what I was like but I'm pretty full on and um instantly I thought what if this was one of my kids he just reminded me of my two adult kids here that how shy they are and how hard they find it to speak to people um and my heart just opened up then and I thought, oh, my God, I've come onto this guy so strong. Honestly, he just must think I'm a nightmare. And from that minute, just, yeah, it was like a weight had left me and yeah. I could be playful and fun again instead of like, I don't know, I felt like I was a bit of a desperado 
going after this poor guy that was not interested in me. But turns out he's just a guy, John, just like you. So, so a couple of things. So, yes, I do know because about 95% of my clients are women. And one of the things that I tell them, just a little tidbit here for anybody listening, is I always say, you know, an asshole, a guy who's just going out for one thing, he'll go up to 50 women and hit on them in one day. The nice guy is he's he's nice he's shy he he's not gonna go hit up every woman and he has to kind of not only warm up and get the confidence he also has to kind of know that you like him right so i think it's very sweet the way that that happened i think it's very sweet the only thing i want to say before i give it back to uh fangirl over here carolyn <laughs> is i want to i want to talk about brandon for a second because i understand that it can be hard for a child to watch their parent with someone else. I understand that. Mm -hmm. I'm a stepdad. Um, Emma was nine when Michelle passed. She was adamant that I never date ever again. By the time she was mm -hmm. 10, she was helping me look, um, look <laughs> for love again. But the reason I want to talk about Brandon just for a second, and these are just my words, nobody else is saying this, is I'm going to kind of call out all the other adult children out there who have a widowed parent who give that widowed parent a hard time about dating again. While I understand, and again, it's my words, nobody else's, while I understand that that can be hard on you, mom deserves to find happiness again. Dad deserves to find happiness again. And I think we can look towards your son as an example. Like, let's embrace the fact that mom and dad want to go out there and live again and try to find love again. I think it's a beautiful thing. And I see way too often adult children disowning their parents, giving their parents a hard time, forbidding their parents from dating again. And I just think that's a shame. I will stop ranting now. <laughs> no, I, I absolutely agree. I think like coming back to what we spoke about before is that life is so, so, so short. And we as a family learned the very, very hard way that life can change in an instant. And yep. Me, like I was hit with a double whammy because I think like a week after Paul passed, my grandfather passed as well. So like we don't have much family left. Like we've got a very small family. And so for me, mum dating again was a no-brainer. Like I had no reservations about that because at the end of the day, we're all human and we all deserve love, you know, no matter what. We all deserve to have love in our lives. And for mum to find love again, I'm like, Absolutely. Like that's exactly what you deserve. Yep. You don't deserve to be hidden away forever. You deserve to be open and loving again. Cause that's all we want at yeah. the end of the yep. day. And we're human. I, I literally tell people like we are human when we were born we were programmed to desire community, family, friendship, and yeah, romantic love of all kinds, including romantic love. Brandon, yeah. it, what, what's it like now? Um, you know, you said, you didn't really see your mum for about four years. What's it like now yeah. seeing your mum happy and really living life again? Well, mum's back. That That's exactly what it is. And mum was a certain way, well, she was herself with Paul more than yeah. any other person. She was herself with Paul. And now that's back again. That mum, you know, is herself again. She's not hiding away any parts of herself she's herself entirely and i think that's an incredible thing and going into the show regardless of what the outcome was going to be i was just 
proud more than anything that you were willing to step out there and that's not an easy thing for anybody to do yeah that's experience or even wants to find love again that step alone is powerful it's impactful and it's a beautifully hard thing to push through proud of it and I think um what you were saying before Danny about uh Wes and the way he's brought up his son I think we can say the same about you and Brandon. Like it's clear to see, you know, Brandon is a very caring and, um, you know, a great person. So congratulations to you too for for raising such a wonderful son. Thanks. <laughs> He's, he, as, as I mentioned earlier, I mean, Brandon um, was diagnosed with autism at age three and he was nonverbal pretty much until he started school. So he had a bit of a rough start to life and um, a lot of therapy and um, a lot of uncertainty around what his future would look like. So I was very scared going into this process yeah. for him that I was going to put him in a situation where he was going to suffer really bad anxiety and stuff like that. And my level of pride isn't just that he was there supporting me, it's that he stepped out of his comfort zone, yes. someone that doesn't spend time with other people um and he went in there with complete strangers for me and yeah. that's I'm, I'm probably more proud of of his personal growth and those steps more than anything um and yeah he's he came out of the experience a different person as well and I think we've both yeah. come out saying not in a million years do I think I would do this the opportunity came up and a friend heard about the show and reached out and said, I think you'd be good. And I thought, oh, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Like, it's <laughs> yeah. kind of scary, you know. It's like I had tried to dip my toe in the dating pool like your first date after Michelle. And it was, gee, I pulled my toe out pretty quickly and thought, is this is this it? Like, if this is it, I can't do it. I'm, I'm done. Back on the couch with my dogs and I'm done. I don't want to experience that. So this was a, a big Band-Aid way to um to rip the band-aid off to jump back into the dating thing and the, the other thing I really struggled with and there it was a question that came up over and over with the producers is um and this because there's psychologists on the show so you you're always under the care of the psychs and they're always asking you are you okay and all this sort of stuff the pastoral care is great and I said I'm so scared about what everyone's going to say that love Paul that's what I was scared oh. about not my family and the people that know me personally not my friends the outer outer community mm. I was afraid that there was going to be this huge backlash how could you do this to Paul and I've had nothing but support just the most beautiful messages from people that he coached when they were six or seven years old now they're adults you know just yeah. I've heard from people that I've you know, I didn't, hadn't even met in real life saying Paul would be so proud of you. And, and many, many people, I'm not sure what you guys believe, saying that Paul sent Where's My Way. And oh, I think yeah. I like to. That While like this discussion is fascinating, and even though I don't watch TV, I'm, I'm a little disappointed we don't have the show out here. I, I just, I want to say something to the general audience for a second. We could talk about this type of guilt in a million different ways. One of the absolute most simplistic ways that I can talk about it is Paul was no longer an option in the physical world. Michelle was no longer an option in the physical world. I met Allie. 
I don't know what it was, five and a half years after Michelle passed. We're in love. We're going to get married. All that type of stuff. I wouldn't even know she was a living, breathing human. That's the truth. If Michelle didn't get sick and die, she wasn't yeah. an option. And I wanted to find something again. Right. And I know people know that, but I think like those words and we have to live with that truth because it's the truth. And when we put it that way, it's like, yeah, OK, my heart might trick me into feeling guilty. My mind might trick me into feeling guilty. But what am I actually feeling guilty about? All right. Again, I'll get yeah. off my high horse in my soapbox. <laughs> <laughs> and the other <laughs> thing is that um, people are going to judge no matter what you do. Yes. If you don't find someone else or don't start dating, Oh, you're stuck in grief. You you're not over, Paul. You know all this stuff. If you do start dating, no matter if it's six months or sixty years later, oh, you well, you mustn't have loved him very much. You know you're dating again. So there's yeah, yeah. always going to be those people. But you know, I'm glad that the people that really can really care about you and Paul have found their voice and have um, conveyed that to you. You know, you're not doing anything wrong. You're not doing anything to be guilty about. Everyone that really cares about you wants you to be happy. And the others that think otherwise, well, they don't matter. They can sit at home yeah. with their partner comfortably having their own opinion, <laughs> you know, fuck yeah. them. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, true. Well, it's true, yeah. And I was just waiting for the onslaught of hate and it didn't come. Yeah. Um, instead I got this onslaught of support and love and, I mean, I got a bit of hate about, you know, too much makeup and oh, my eye. Oh, oh and you, I got some physical stuff and I thought I can what? live with the physical stuff. Oh, you know, what people yeah, are like. But typical. it's, um, yeah, trolls. But, yeah, yeah it's, um, I, I feel like I, I was in a reasonably public relationship with Paul and now I feel like I've stepped into an even more public relationship <laughs> with Wes. And I wonder whether the the level of, love and support that's come our way is because there's a lot more understanding people out there than what I thought yeah. you know I think the support for the widows out there is more, more than I you know in my mind I thought everyone was going to be against me but there was the yeah. complete opposite another one of the things you know the stories that we tell ourselves and and um, I think I commented on your um, Instagram that you know, all of us widows were cheering you on because you know yeah. I, I know a lot of widows and um, we were in our little chats, you know, oh, you know, how great's Danny and we hope she finds love and all this stuff. And then when Wes come in, you know, come on, come on, let's let's get this happening. <laughs> so I would have loved yeah. to have been on the wall. Yeah. That would have been funny. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, that, that really meant a lot when you wrote that comment, actually, that just knowing because it doesn't occur to you I mean, I did hope that, you know, maybe someone would be like, oh, maybe I can do this and jump back into yeah. the dating world. But I guess I didn't realise the the breadth of it yeah. um, until I had people messaging me, inboxing DMs, saying they were widows. And I got message after message after message. And I thought, oh, well, there's a lot of us. There there's is. a lot of people yeah. in this club. Is there. Yeah. And the stories. And, I oh, mean, I get right into it with them because I just feel so bad for everyone that's gone through this because we all know what yeah. it feels like, right? So we're, we're very empathetic and, you know, so I've been living all these other sad stories and as much as I think, oh, God, I don't know if I can take another sad story, I think I just want to be here to support these people. They're saying you've given me hope that I can find someone and yeah. I thought, okay, that's a little tricky 
show we just did might might give people you know the courage to step out the door and have a crack again oh absolutely yeah and um that's a beautiful thing that has come from the show as a bonus of your wonderful yeah. relationship that you're now in that it's helped so many people who um might have like you were earlier on thought I can't do that or could never be with anyone else and now they've seen you know it is possible to find someone as John and I always say it only takes one there's a lot of bosses out there but it only takes one where's one person so um you know it is possible to find that happiness and lead a fulfilling life again that's now, a great slogan. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Tell him I said that. <laughs> Talking before about a sign from Paul, I saw on your social media that you had, both of you guys had a sign in the gym, in Paul's gym. Oh, right. Oh, bag and the awe. Yeah. Uh, would you like to yeah. tell us about that? We have a multi-story gym. And downstairs is an underground garage, if you like, around 20 boxing bags and Paul's boxing ring right in the middle, um, all the taekwondo stuff set up down there. And we were sitting up in the office one night. um, So downstairs is in complete darkness. So there's only the infrared cameras are on. And we're sitting there just after a day of work. uh, My family, the kids and I and a girl that worked with us, Hayley, and um, one of the boxing bags just started swinging back and forth, back and forth. And we all jumped and screamed and went, there's someone in the gym. There's someone in the gym. We're panicking. There's <laughs> someone in the gym, you think, because it's, it's only Brandon and my daughter and son, yeah. my younger child. And um, and then we we're trying to work up the courage to go down. We're saying, Brandon, you've got to go down, go down. There's someone in the gym. And because um, there's no way the boxing bags would just be moving like yeah. that. And because I think we noticed it first because we were seeing the orbs. Oh, yeah, we were seeing. Because we're like, we're that's seeing. weird. Like, because yeah. it's not just like, oh, it's dust just floating. It wasn't no, it was anything a, like that. It was yeah. deliberate. Like, yeah. 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 Sorry, there was orbs Like, first. again, depending on what you believe. Like, it, to us, it was like, that's weird. Yeah, and you couldn't miss it. We've got in the office, we had this huge, huge, huge TV, and you were just sitting there talking. You can't miss it because it just goes across the cameras yeah. like that. Anyway, and then the bags started moving. We sent Brandon down there and he was looking around and we can, there's, it's microphone, so we can hear him in the office, but he can't hear us. There's a concrete roof in between us. And um, Brandon gave up training when Paul died. He just couldn't, he used to do boxing training with him and cardio and stuff, and he just couldn't ever go back to training. And he was really down on himself because he'd gotten unfit again and um, he couldn't get into it. And he, he always used the same boxing bag down there. And he said to Paul, if you're here, can you go to my boxing bag? And this orb went right across the camera, right to the bag Brandon was standing at, out of 20 bags in the boxing yeah. thing. And the bag was moving, <laughs> right? Yeah, without me touching. Without him we touching. We asked like it. a few questions. We so asked a few just, specific just questions. Just so it wasn't like, oh, that's a coincidence. It's now, just like, okay, we asked it a few different times, two different questions. And again, just. Yeah. And the four of us are up in the office. Brandon's downstairs. He can't hear us. We're screaming, <laughs> screaming because we're scared, but we're excited. We don't know. We've got all sorts of feelings going on. And then I went down to the gym 
once we knew no one was down in there. So you're walking in complete darkness, you can't see a thing. And I sat next to the boxing ring and that's where I felt most connected to Paul. And I was sitting down there with my head in my hands and I don't know what the kids are saying upstairs, but an orb came down past the camera, went up and over my body and then left again. And I was sitting there, I mean, I don't want to say because I'm going to start crying, but I was talking to Paul yeah. and uh, about why did he leave me? Why did you do this? Don't, all that sort of stuff. And um, but I you don't know because you can't see it when you're there. Yeah. But it, the cameras picked it up, and you can't see that bags are moving because you're in complete black down there. You're sitting in like a black cupboard. Right. And um, until they got and we had, because we've got it on the cameras that we were able to record it. And then yeah. parents started filming um, their kids training in the gym, and then we started seeing more and more orbs, and people were sending videos in of kids doing really big complicated dangerous stunt things in there <laughs> and the orb just following wow the, and did the you ever tell them that on the show oh i forgot about that i haven't told anyone this story exclusive <laughs> yeah so i was lying i was lying on the bed I, I there was a night i was upset wasn't it yeah i think so oh, I, I didn't see anything you know, i can't remember yeah. what it was you know I was, we had in the house we had um four three beds in a row and i had nadia on one side and beck on the other and I was lying there and I was upset and it was in the dark and I was crying, you know, just silent tears. Right? Yeah. I did, didn't want to be there. And my bed got yanked out, yanked away from the wall. Oh, and I just, wow. <gasps> I, like that. And the girl was like, what's wrong, what's wrong? And I said, someone just pulled my bed. And I thought, had someone snuck in there and they had rope and they yanked the bottom because it was an ensemble, you know, mattress yeah. and bakes. And I Someone had tied it around the little foot. Anyway, there's no, there's a light on in the cup. We can see no one's in the room. We all got up. We checked nothing, nothing. I'm like, oh, God. And Nadia, who's very spiritual, yeah. African girl, very deep, and she's like, Paul, Paul is here, Paul's here. He's telling you to get up and go for it. He's telling you to get up oh. and go for it. And I'm like, maybe he's telling me to leave. Maybe he's telling me to leave, and I don't oh. know. And I laid down on the bed again. And then the bed shook side to side, not pulled side to side, like someone was pushing wow. it in and out. And I was like, the three of us were just freaking out. Anyway, we told the producers and everything. that It was the talk of the house like, that this had happened. <laughs> Never made it clear. But, yeah, I forgot about that, Brand. Mm. Yeah. Well, wow. it I, 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 yeah, well, it happened a couple of times. Yeah. yeah it happened twice. But, um, yeah, because I said to the producers, did would someone have pulled my bed? Like, why would my bed be shunted away from the wall like that? And they're like, there's nothing. We promise you there's nothing there. And I thought, are they messing with me? Like, what are, are the producers doing this? Are they trying to create something? Anyway, they said there wasn't. Wow. So yeah. I put that down to Paul telling me to pull my finger out. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, we're, we're big on signs, aren't we, John? And uh, For sure. The only thing I'll say, not to interrupt you, Carolyn, the only thing I'll say is and i was just having this conversation with the client the other day is like if you go and bring me a sign can you be really specific because i would have been like you i would have been like I, are you telling me like stop crying are you telling me yeah. someone else is gonna come are you telling me to go home like i don't know what you, i know you're here but i don't know what you want from me <laughs> yeah text would be handy yeah, yeah it, it's really it is really hard you're right it's um and i remember when paul first died i had his phone by my bed and it lit up one night and said on his phone, but it was it came up on predictive tech like a Siri message, mm. and it said, 
hello, is anybody there? And I was like, and it lit because it was at nighttime, the phone lit up and I thought, oh, someone's trying to message Paul. They don't know he's died and they're trying to message his phone. But it was one of those Siri commands. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. That? yeah. Hello, is anybody there? Anyway, it unnerved me, didn't unnerve me. And I, I did, it, part of it was peace and happiness that I thought he was connecting with me. The other part was, is this real? I, I couldn't make head or tail of it. It was the middle of the night. And the other thing I'll quickly mention is that when when I realised that Paul had passed, I'd gotten out of bed that morning. It was a Sunday and I thought he was sleeping. It was his only day off. And I got up and made a cup of tea, emptied the dishwasher, came back to bed. We had a little puppy, a little French bulldog pup, four months old, got back into bed and I lifted her up onto the bed and I said, go to daddy because she would just snuggle in under Paul's shoulder. She's tiny and she'd just like lie there and she didn't go there. She just sat there. And I said, Lulu, go to dad. And she just sat there staring at him. And I said, I was laughing and I said, oh, she hates you today. (laughs) You're not very popular. And I was joking around and um, he didn't answer me. And that's when I looked at him and went, oh, and I put my hand on the back of his head and and I said, you've got a fever. I said, I think you're sick. And he didn't answer me. And I thought, oh, shit. And I just went to pull up the, the covers over him and he wasn't wearing any clothes and he's, you know, all six pack. He's very hard, muscly and yeah, very rigid anyway. Okay. And I pulled it up, but he was freezing and I'm like, babe, you were freezing. Oh my God, you were so sick. And then I'm stressing because he's sick. And I went to like, just shake him like that. And his whole body moved with rigor mortis. He just, he moved and it was, and then I looked and I saw, that I could see the blue of his eyes just a little bit. And then and the light went on, as in the light in my brain went on. Yeah. Like I didn't realise straight away what I was even looking at. No. I didn't know I did. I was looking at a person that had passed and had passed quite some time before because, you know, having lost both my parents, you know, I know that you can lose your bowels and, you know, yeah. you pass urine and all that stuff and there was no smell there was nothing and so that didn't if I had smelt something I would have thought that that might come to me quickly and um there was nothing and then I just started screaming for the kids and um, we were all there that night like again just talking about strange circumstances the night before uh it was my sister thank god my little brother wasn't there um my ex was there we're all sitting uh, around the table just talking about plans for the future um, but we're all there together um, mm-hmm. just talking about the future plans for the club for the business and Paul was under a lot of stress at that time and we we're just trying to talk about ways of like okay how can we help you like relieve some of this stress and we talked about it everything was good and then of course the next day mum finds Paul gone mm-hmm. starts screaming yeah. and we're like well, what is going on and so we were also there that day yeah and and my daughter who normally doesn't live there she's 30 years old she'd only come over to do use our dryer Mm. because her dryer wasn't working that night it was just a set of circumstances that my oldest child who is really the the matriarch of our family was there and she took control of everything but for her to have to deal you know the paramedics are like you need to get him on the floor over the phone and it's her stepdad he's naked and trying to resuscitate him even though I, I know he's long gone because 
seeing the death of my parents, I know obviously he's in full rigor mortis. You, you know all this, but it's all yeah. a blur, you know, both yeah. been through it. Um, but it was a blessing that my daughter was there and I think her dryer broke down for a reason. You know, you just yes. start looking for things. Just go, that all makes sense. And just to get back to my dogs, so we had two dogs and um, my dog wouldn't go to him at all. Should have been the first sign. The night he died, my other dog, Golden Retriever, cross border collie, smart, smart dog, came in and I never let her on the bed, but I was so shattered and so devastated. I let her sit up on the bed and she sat there in front of his pillow, just sat there and she just stared at a spot just above the bed. She wouldn't take her eyes off, but she just sat there staring and staring and staring. And we got it on video because we were like, this dog never just sits there and does that ever, but yeah. she wouldn't break her nose off. And it was just over the top of his pillow. Um, and I think what, I don't know what she was seeing, but she was yeah. absolutely transfixed for the longest time on this spot above his pillow. And I think I do believe the signs. I do believe it. And yeah. it just, I don't know if it gives you guys comfort, but it certainly gave me comfort and up until recently, I would speak to Paul every morning, every morning in the car, all the way to work, I would speak to him before he died. And after he died, I just kept talking to him. Yeah. And uh, I'd get to a certain part of the freeway and I would feel shivers start in my toes and come up and almost painful and go all the way through my body, all the way through my skin, my hair, everything. And I'm, it's it, all I can say is it feels like shingles or something like, like it's almost painful. And I would say, I can feel you. I can feel you. I can feel you, Paul. I can feel you. And I think I did go to a medium after he died and he said, he's a really, really powerful force. He said, I don't know what he was like in life, but this is a strong, strong man. Yeah. He's coming through with some strength. And I said, yeah, that would be Paul. If anyone yeah. could barge their way through into our plane of existence, it would be Paul. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's um, so I mean, I, I think I've had enough experiences where I can categorically say there is another existence out there that they're in, and I feel like they can see us and I feel like they can guide us. Oh, and absolutely. I yeah, and, and I now put all the big decisions into his hands and I don't sweat anything now. I think, oh, shit, did I just fuck up? Like, I don't know. No, it's okay. Okay, Paul will make sure it's right. And if it doesn't look right, it'll be right down the track because yes. he wouldn't do that, you know. Yeah. He wouldn't do that. So, yeah, it's given me a bit of freedom with decision-making because <laughs> I think he's always going to guide me. Yeah. That's what I believe. Oh, I get that too. I feel that Tony has guided me so much since he died and and I ask him as well if I've got a big decision, I always ask him and he'll put things in my head. It'll be just like some nagging thing in my head and I think, why am I thinking that? Oh, of course, Tony's telling me to go that way yeah. and do that. Yeah. And when I do follow that guidance, it works out. So I fully, fully believe in that. And I mean, even this morning, like, you know, Apple Watches, you've got um, different watch faces that they have that you can choose which face you want on it. Well, randomly, I just looked and as I looked at it, it switched to the Minnie Mouse clock face. I'm thinking, what the hell? He's Minnie Mouse telling the time. <laughs> How'd that get there? I thought, oh, Tony, of course. 
So I've kept it on there. I haven't changed it back yet. I thought I'll keep Minnie Mouse. Yeah. Can't tell the time for shit because I can't tell where, where Minnie's pointing. But, but yeah, love the song. It reminded me that you had to meet up with John today. It's his connection yeah. to America. <laughs> Maybe he knew I was excited about this interview today. <laughs> Maybe. John, do you get signs from Michelle? Do you ever sense her presence? Yeah. Um, since she passed away, and from what I, I guess you could say, have learned about this, like when they first pass away, electronics is the easiest thing for them to send signs with, right? So it started with like the phone, electronics. She would mess with my TV so badly to the point where I ended up getting a new TV with like a new cable provider and the same exact thing was happening. Um, I would try to like turn the volume up and nothing would happen for like five minutes. And then it would go up to like 77. The TV would oh, just wow. turn off randomly. And again, I got a new TV, a new cable provider, same stuff happened. Um, Carolyn and I have an episode about this where we talk about it. Cause I have so many signs. And again, one of the things we talked about in that episode is I know some people say they don't get signs. I think sometimes we can look for them too hard. Like, but the other part of that is sometimes we're not aware because people want to mm -hmm. just write it off as not being a sign, right? Um, but Michelle, I don't think she's as powerful as Paul, but man, does she, she lets me know that she's there for sure. Yeah. Yep. And she's guided me too. I think she guided me to uh, moving here, which has been life changing. It's where I met Allie. So for sure, I believe in them. I, I got to the point where I was writing a list. In fact, I haven't looked at it for years, but I definitely went to my notes and the notes are called Paul occurrences. And I love that. I tell clients who believe in science and who, who are getting them to do that because the truth is like, yeah. if they're going to come visit us, if they're going to come give us a sign or guidance, first of all, like let's thank them. But also mm. we could forget about them. You know, when you asked me that question, I just thought about 10 signs that I kind of don't live with every day. But when yeah. we write them down, we can go back and can, we can remind ourselves, oh, yeah, they were there then. They guided me here. That's a really special thing that people should do more often. Yeah. yeah. I actually took an orb video um, on Tony's birthday probably nearly 18 months ago in my bedroom and we just talked to him and took a video and everywhere, you know, like your orb video as well and so powerful and put it on TikTok and, of course, there was a few people, oh, it's dust on your camera, all this stuff. I'm like, no, it's not. not. But, you know, lots and lots of people did love it and um, agree with it. So I don't care. If I I know it's a sign, I don't care what anyone else thinks. And, yeah. um, you know, I know if I'm really busy, I won't, I'm sure I miss signs. The best place to be aware of them and see them is when you're quiet. So, when you're in yeah. that alpha state, when you're just waking up or just falling asleep or meditating and that sort of thing, it's much easier to be aware of them. But I just want to ask you, what's in the future for Danny and Wes? Oh, let me just ask Paul. <laughs> um, we are, he's going to be coming to Melbourne in January. He's going to base himself out of Melbourne. Um, oh, he worked remotely uh I guess the closest thing I could describe is like a FIFO worker you know fly in fly yeah. out but he drives in and drives out so he's job locations he works um, for a roads I don't know I'm going to say it wrong but he basically doesn't live at home during the week 
he is working in very remote locations and then he comes home on weekends. So instead of going home to another state, he's going to come home to where I live in Melbourne. And then um, I've got still a child in school. So when Bailey finishes year 12, which is in a couple of years, then um, I really want to go up to the coast because Wes lives with beaches and mountains in the most divine area. So once I get Bailey settled, he'll probably stay with Brand and all the boys can come up. Wes is already planning. He really wants the boys to come up, but, um, you know, they're be adults so whatever the kids want to do but we're buying a caravan we're we're having it built and we're going to travel around the coast of Australia hit up all the beaches Wes is a surfer so um, we're going to do that so that'll take a year for them to get the van built Um, and in that time we'll be able to pay it off and so we're going to do that trip and I don't know I mean surely he needs to buy me an engagement ring doesn't he (laughs) No pressure. Nah, I we're just really happy the way we are. We're actually, we're we're good. We're both fifty-two and we're easygoing and relaxed about life. You know. But you guys have also like put the effort in. Like they talk every single day for hours yes. and hours and hours and hours, hours, and hours. about five hours possible. a day. Yeah. Yeah. No, so it even feels like even though you're separated by states, you're not. No. I, I would talk to him more than I probably would have even talked to Paul when, you know, you're living together um, because you're forced to communicate more when you're doing yes. it in this realm, you know, like over the FaceTime. Um, so we've gotten to know each other on a really deep level that we otherwise might have bypassed that, you know, when you're in a relationship, sometimes you just sit on the sofa next to your, your mate yeah. and you watch TV and you're in a bit of, you know, mindless tv going and not really communicating deeply and we've been forced to do the deep stuff yeah and um it's been a really good way to start the relationship and plus we get to see each other we're like teenagers it's crazy (laughs) it's like we we really look forward to seeing each other so yeah Uh, but he coming down pretty much every sort of two two to three weeks yeah, he was oh, down right. during the show, so he was able to watch a few episodes yeah. with us, which was good. And yeah, great. You with him in a few days. Yeah. We're going to spend New Year's up there, so I'm going to get to meet his family and go up to the coast because I've never been that way before, so we're getting to see him, which is going to be a bit exciting. So- Lots of exciting times ahead, so we'll look yeah. forward to watching it all unfold. Oh, you know me, I'll be sharing it. <laughs> <laughs> Always is like, oh, okay. <laughs> when I love someone, I love hard, and I like yeah. everyone needs to know how I love them. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's been it's been a beautiful ride so far. Yeah. Thanks so much, guys, for sharing your story and your time with us. Um, we really appreciate it, and we can put your social media details in our show notes if you'd like. So if people would like to follow you if um, anyone in Australia wants to watch the show it's my mum your dad and you can watch it on nine now and um, I would highly recommend it it's um great show to watch <laughs> and love the thank app. you guys <laughs> it's been a pleasure yeah, to get to know you guys thank you so much yeah thanks John. Thanks. thanks thanks for thank you for listening to the my person died to podcast For full information on our books, coaching services and other offerings, visit our websites, carolyngowercoaching.com and johnpolocoaching.com. Remember to rate, review and subscribe. 
And if you found this podcast helpful, please spread the word so that we're able to support more people through grief.